We'd love to have you find a Bible and turn with me to Psalm 130. Psalm 130. You will find the book of Psalms right in the middle of the Bible. If you hold your Bible open and just sort of let it fall open to the center, you'll find the book of Psalms. You can turn to Psalm 130. We're going to be looking at that in just a few minutes. And what's so powerful about the Psalms is that they are the prayers of God's people. They've been the prayers of God's people for thousands of years. If you struggle to know how to pray, if you want to pray well, if you want to kind of be properly formed in how you talk to God, start praying the Psalms. This is, a, this is a great practice for followers of Jesus. Do you know that Jesus did this? He prayed the Psalms. He probably prayed the Psalms daily. In fact, if you read the Gospels, you'll, you'll find Jesus when he speaks. He's often like speaking the Psalms. They, they come up in his language and his teaching. They're a part of his life. In fact, the, some of the very last words Jesus spoke on the cross when he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? is a direct quote from Psalm uh, 22. And so, if you want to pray like Jesus, pray the Psalms. Um, I, I would encourage you to, to just make this a part of your daily routine, to not, not to just read them, but to, to actually make them your prayers. So, uh, this morning, before we get to Psalm 130, I'd love to just introduce this next teaching series that we're diving into this morning. It's a four-week series called Beats, Finding the Message in the Music. And I'm super excited about this. This is uh, unlike anything we've, we've ever done before as a teaching series, where over the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at four songs. And it's almost like your pastors have made you a mixtape. Um, you remember mixtapes? For some of you, it was like a mix eight track uh, back in the day. For others, it was like a playlist uh, for you younger ones. But uh, back in my day, when you kind of had a crush on somebody, uh, you made them a mixtape. Or when you had a good friend and you wanted to just kind of give them a, a flavor of the music you listen to or music you, you really enjoy, you made them a mixtape. <clears throat> and so this is our mixtape as pastors to, to you all. Now these four songs we're going to be looking at over the next four weeks, they are not sold under a, or marketed under a Christian label. These are songs you would hear on the radio, songs... Uh, that some of you may know, uh, I'm guessing many of, uh, many of you probably won't know all four of them. You may know one or two. But um, these songs are incredibly powerful because they point to something we need to understand about the spiritual life. Uh, some of these songs come from people who would claim to be disciples of Jesus, would claim a connection to Jesus. Some of them do not. And so um, the question is, why in the world would a church spend time in a Sunday morning? Now, this won't be all of our content, but why would a church spend time on a Sunday morning looking at music that isn't sort of overtly Christ-centered? And so I wanted to spend just a couple of minutes talking about this because I think it's really important. I think it's, it's really important um, because artists, people among us, who, and some of you are artists, who are just sort of like, you have to create things. Do do any of you just have that impulse to just create? You have to make something. You're constantly rearranging and reorganizing. Uh, I remember when Carmen was like seven months pregnant. I forget which child it was, but I came home from work one day and she completely rearranged the living room, including the piano. 
This kind of like upright piano had moved it across the living room. I'm like, I don't think that's even safe uh, that you're doing that. And so, like, I'm married to an artist, and so she has this, like, this, this need to constantly rearrange to make things beautiful. And I love that. I appreciate it. Some of you are that way. Some of you, um, you would recognize yourself as an artist, whether it's a musician or visual arts or poetry. Some of you are poets. But I would guess most of you who are artists maybe don't recognize it because your parameters of what is an artist is too small. Like for you, some of you, your canvas is your front lawn and your landscaping. Like that's your canvas. Like you, you, you love having this lawn that is pristine and where your landscaping is perfectly arranged and everything is in place because you love to make beautiful things. You love to arrange and organize. You're an artist. You create beautiful things. An artist tend to be the most honest among us. Artists tend to be those who are most in tune with their pain and with the longings of the human heart, and they tend to be most in tune to beauty. And the role of the artist in the church and the role of the artist in the culture is to point out the beautiful things that we otherwise would miss. And so if, if you are an artist, if this is a, something God has put inside of you, this desire to create, to call out beauty, please do it. Be blessed by the church. We need artists to create beautiful things in our world. Now, the, um, the, uh, the ancient Greeks, uh, we're going to start with some, uh, how many of you are philosophy majors? Did anybody study philosophy in school? Just like, uh, there were like two. Okay, there was nobody in the last service. So just a real quick um, sort of, philosophy lesson. The, the ancient Greeks were, were sort of serious thinkers about the nature of things. And they said, if you would like take sort of everything, uh, everything that people like think that, that makes things happen in the world, and you were to distill it all down, boil it all down to the like, what are, what are sort of the things at the bottom that hold everything else together? They said there are three prime virtues. There are three things that are just like at the base of all thinking about the world. And they said these three prime virtues are the good, the true, and the beautiful. The good, the true, and the beautiful. And they called them prime virtues because they said, well, like, you don't need to defend them. If something is, is good, it's just good. If something is true, it's true. If something is beautiful, you don't have to like argue about its beauty. You just recognize it's captivating. It's beautiful. Um, and so they're, they're sort of self-justifying like this. But what's interesting about this is that the early church, they said, well, here's the reason why these are prime virtues is because they all come from God. God is the nature of all goodness. God is good. God is truth. God is beauty. He's the creator. And so if you notice something that is good, that's because it comes from God. If you notice something is true, it's because it originates with God. It finds it's like you were going to follow, you're in class, right? And the professor or whoever, your teacher is talking to you about philosophy or about science or whatever it is, and you realize like, man, this feels true. And if it is, and you start following the source, you are going to find the headwaters in the nature of God. This is what one of the early Christian thinkers, uh, his name was Justin Martyr. I don't know if you've heard of Justin Martyr. Um, he, he lived for 65 years, was born in the year 100, and then uh, died in the year 165. And he was one of the, like, the, the early Christian fathers who started like, really allowing Christianity, the faith that we have, have come to inherit, 
he was one of the first ones who started like allowing Christianity to kind of have a place in the, the sort of marketplace of ideas of the day. And here's what Justin Martyr said, talking to, to Greek philosophers and whatever. He said, he, he, his idea was that all truth is God's truth. He called it logos theory, that when the word became flesh in Jesus, what we see is the truth of God putting on human flesh and blood. And so if anything in this world is true, it's because it originates from God. All truth is God's truth. And if, it's, if that's true for truth, then it's true for beauty too. Now, the early Christians, the, the, even in the, in the New Testament, you find the, the writers of the New Testament picking up on this. Now, for example, here's Philippians 4.8. See if you hear the good, the true, the beautiful in this. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true... Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely. What's another name for lovely, by the way? Beautiful. Whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So here's the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Philippi, this early church who's like struggling to to survive, and he says, hey, set your mind on the good, the true, the beautiful, the, the, the noble, and if you do that, you will find its origin in God. Now, there are things in our world that are not good and true and beautiful, right? There is art that is not good and true and beautiful. There is art that is ugly, that actually brings out the worst in human beings. And it it comes from a place of brokenness and pain. And so we as Christians, we have discernment to do to say, is this good and true and beautiful, or is this actually ugly and broken? And and the call of the Scriptures is to say, actually, if if it's good, true, beautiful, think about it. Fill your mind with it. But all beauty, to the extent that something is beautiful, it's because it, it emanates from the nature of God. God is a great artist, right? How many of you got to see the eclipse this last week? You had the glasses. I've heard some stories of some of you who put on sunglasses and watched the eclipse through that little four-inch thing in your car. Like, you know, the windshield that has, like, the tint in it. You put on sunglasses and thought, well, that would be a great idea. Don't do that. Um, Next time, 2048, don't do that. Um, So, but how many of you actually traveled to some place where you're in the total eclipse, in the totality? So a few of you? Okay, good for you. Good for you. Um, People came from all over the world to experience this. And, like, to my shame, didn't even make the, you know, two-hour trip north to see it. But... um, it was absolutely beautiful, wasn't it? I mean, even, even here, like 95% eclipse, like it was just, it was beautiful. Uh, I found myself, like it was home with, with Carmen and Grayson, and we had the little glasses, and we're looking up at it, and like, it's just something almost like worshipful about it. Uh, I found myself just, just kind of praying, just because I was captivated by the, the beauty of it. This is a, a Time magazine feature, The Beautiful Phenomena. I watched videos of people who were, had traveled from all over the world to experience the total eclipse. They were in tears because it was just kind of this enchanted kind of thing. There was this worship that just kind of happens. It, it, it resonates with us at such an emotional level because God is the great artist. God is the great artist. And when Jesus steps into the world, when the Word of God becomes flesh, in Jesus, and he makes his home among us, what we are seeing is the goodness, the truth, and the beauty 
that, that founded the world, we're seeing it in flesh in Jesus. So that's why we want to affirm beauty wherever we find it. As a church, the church, we are the people who affirm beauty wherever we find it, and we walk the journey back to its origin, which is God. So let's say you have friends. You have friends who are not Christian. They claim they've been presented, maybe they've never been presented the gospel, or they've been presented the gospel that, that maybe doesn't feel good or true or beautiful. And so they've sort of rejected this. And you get a chance as evangelists, as disciples of Jesus, the beautiful one, you get a chance as you're talking with them about life, as you're talking with them about the eclipse, and why is the eclipse so powerful? Why is this song so moving? You get to have the conversation with them that says, do you know where this longing in your heart comes from? It's like a trail of breadcrumbs that is meant to lead you back to your creator, to the one who created these longings in you in the beginning. That is why we were paying attention to this. Um, So that we, one of the reasons is so we can have these spiritual conversations with our friends. So, there's the introduction for the series. Now, uh, what we're going to do is um, we're going to play a song. There's going to be a video. um, And then we're going to talk about how this points us to to God in Scripture. So, the artist we're going to be paying attention to today is uh, Andra Day. Just out of curiosity, how many of you are familiar with Andra Day? You've heard her Okay, good. Just a few of you. Um, I was hoping it might be a surprise for many of you. Uh, Andra Day, a little bit about her. She's 32 years old. She is uh, phenomenally popular right now, but after high school, she worked about 20 different jobs. She, uh, she was not an instant success. And it was actually, she was, uh, she was hired as a children's performer. It was one of her jobs. So you could like hire her to come entertain your kids at a birthday party. So one day in 2010, she's singing at a strip mall, and Stevie Wonder's wife walks by and hears her sing and says, like, I've got somebody you need to meet. So Stevie Wonder calls her, and they have this conversation and feels like this is going to be your big break, but nothing happens for a couple of years. So finally, a few years later, her first album debuted, and within six months from being completely obscure, within six months of that moment, she was singing in the White House. I mean, just this complete life-changing life-changing experience. So this first track on our mixtape is called Rise Up. Rise Up. I want to read just a couple of lyrics to you so you have them in your mind as you watch the video. You're broken down and tired of living life on a merry-go-round. You can't find the fighter, but I see it in you, so we're going to walk it out and move mountains. We're going to walk it out and move mountains. And I will rise up. I will rise like the day. And I will rise up. I'll rise unafraid. I'll rise up and I'll do it a thousand times again. And I'll rise up high like the waves. I'll rise up in spite of the ache. I'll rise up and I'll do it a thousand times again for you. This is Rise Up.
You're broken down and tired of living life on the merry-go-round. And you can't find a fighter, but I see it in you, so we gon' walk it out. Move mountains, we gon' walk it out and move.
So we could, uh, <clears throat> we talk about all sorts of things that this, this beautiful song draws us to. Uh, we could talk about sacrifice, commitment, covenant. We talk about weakness, service. But I think more than anything, this song points us to hope. To hope. And um, there's something powerful about hope that I think she is sort of putting her finger on in this song and putting her voice to. And that's um, hope is only needed in our lives when things aren't the way we wish they were. Hope is only needed in our life when like, things aren't the way we want them to be. Like The only reason you need hope is because there's something that you would say, it's, it's not right, something is wrong, there is an ache inside of my soul because things are this way. Uh, hope does not deny the circumstances of life. That's not what hope does. Hope does not... Um, Say, you know what, in the, middle of, in the middle of everything that's going on in my life, I'm, I'm great, I'm fine, I'm good, I'm, you know, couldn't be better. Like, hope doesn't just put on a happy face and pretend that there isn't any pain. There is no virtue in denial, right? This isn't what the people of God do. The people of God don't just, like, pretend things aren't hard. What the people of God do is they hope. And what hope does is it pushes back against our circumstances, Like hope in the middle of things being hard and bad, it is an act of defiance. It pushes back against our circumstances because our circumstances want to define us. Like your circumstances are always trying to define you and who you are and who you will be. Uh, They tell you things like, you know what, you are your job. You are your bank account. You are that grade you got on your last test. You are what people are saying about you. You are the things that you have. Your circumstances, our circumstances, always are trying to define us and sort of box us in. And what hope does is it realizes this is is hard stuff happening in my life. But hope chooses to push back against their ability to tell us who we are. That's what hope is. Hope is a, is a song of resistance. It's a, it's a song that says, in the middle of the difficult things, in the middle of the ache, I will choose to rise. This is what the people of God do. Now, there are 15 psalms in your Bible called Songs of Rise Up. They're called Songs of Ascent. Uh, you may be familiar with these. These are from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134. These are Rise Up Psalms. And what these were is uh, three times a year, all of the Israelites, all the people of God were called to gather in Jerusalem. And if you remember, Jerusalem was a city built on a hill. It was on a mountaintop. So from wherever you lived in Israel or outside of Israel, three times a year, you with your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends, you would come, move toward Jerusalem to go up to the temple and to worship God. And from wherever you went around, around Israel, Jerusalem was up, and so you would ascend to Jerusalem. And on the way, while you're walking, you're this pilgrim on the way to Jerusalem, you would sing these psalms of ascent. You would rise up as you are physically climbing up to Jerusalem to worship God. And here's the thing. I'm guessing there were many people who didn't feel like going to Jerusalem. Israel, for its, its almost entire history, were, were people who were oppressed 
I mean, Israel is this tiny little nation, and there's Egypt to the south. It's terrifying and threatening, and there's Babylon and the Syria to the north. I mean, they were constantly in fear. They were constantly oppressed. And yet three times a year, they had to walk out of their oppression by faith and walk up to Jerusalem and ascend to worship the God who is true and good and beautiful. And it was an act of defiance to sing these songs of worship in the middle of their ache and their pain. But that's what they did together. Sort of, and as they ascended to Jerusalem, there was something inside of their souls that ascended to. These songs of ascent are so powerful. Psalm 130, starting in verse 5, listen to, to this. I wait for the Lord. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love. With him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. Hope is this song of ascent. It is a song of of rising up, of pushing back against our circumstances and choosing to put our faith in the one who is good and true and beautiful. See, some of us uh, have put our hope for so long. We've, we've, We've misunderstood hope. We've said hope is hoping my circumstances change and get better. And so we, we put our hope in the idea that our circumstances are, are going to get better. And, and the, the reality is sometimes they will and sometimes they won't. I mean, they, they might not. And if our hope, if the thing that is giving us hope is the, 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 the idea that our circumstances are going to change, sometimes, maybe often, our hopes are going to be dashed. And we're going to be so jaded that it's going to be really hard to put hope in God. But the Psalms call us not to put our hope in the fact that circumstances are going to change, but to put our hope, to sort of tether our hope to the God who is true and good and beautiful and who is revealed in Jesus. This is what songs of ascent do. They are rise up songs. The Psalm 130, like it it tells us, Another thing about hope, and that's that hope is a choice. Not only is hope an act of defiance from being defined by our circumstances, hope is a choice. It's a discipline. It's something we can choose to do. Put your hope in the Lord, the psalmist says. Put your hope, place your hope in the Lord. Um, So hope is a spiritual discipline. But sometimes... It's, it's just too stinking hard. I mean, if, if we're really honest, like sometimes to make that choice to have hope in the middle of the ache, I mean, it's, it's just really hard to do. In, in the video, there's this moment like where she, um, she wakes up. She's laying in bed, laying beside her husband. And she wakes up and you can kind of see this. There are just a couple of seconds of just decision of saying, okay, t- today's a new day, and I'm, I'm choosing to get up again today. I'm choosing to do this again today. I'm choosing to love again today. And there's this powerful image that hope is this choice to rise up, but sometimes it is so hard that we can't do it on our own. Sometimes we need each other. 
That's why as these pilgrims were walking toward Jerusalem, they were singing together. These songs, they weren't meant to be read. They were meant to be sung. They were these communal songs. And and what's the problem is we can't read Hebrew. So when we translate them from Hebrew to English, they lose their musical value. So like when I sing them, they always sound like Bob Dylan. Um, All the lyrics just sort of like run together. Uh, I'll do that for you sometime later if you're interested. But um, I won't ruin the artistic moment of the day. But they were sung together. And there's something so powerful that happens when we sing together as God's people. Like, so much of our time together is spent singing because when our voices rise and we start to sing songs of hope, something inside of us rises too. And when hope starts to rise inside of us, we rise with it. And there are some mornings when we come together to worship when I don't feel like singing. When the choice is too hard. When hope is too heavy a burden to bear on my own. But I come and I hear your voice. And I hear you sing these songs for me. And when I hear it, and when I see it, my hope begins to rise too. See, we need each other. This is why we sing. This is why the people of God are people who sing the songs of faith, hope, and love. This is why we gather. This is why we come together and we sing these songs of hope so that we rise up together. Because when hope is gone, we borrow some from each other. This is what the people of God do? What is it that you need to rise up from? What are the circumstances that are trying to define you? What are you waiting on the Lord for where there is this ache inside of you that says, I wait on the Lord more than watchmen wait for morning? Like, what, what is it that is hemming you in that you are being asked today to put your hope in the Lord for? to push back, to take this act of defiance, and to sing songs that place your hope not in your circumstances changing, but in the God who is good and who is true and who is beautiful and who stepped into this world in the person of Jesus and who gave his life to redeem us. This morning, I want to invite you into an act of defiance, and it's to sing a Rise Up song as we end the morning. And so I'm going to ask you to stand. The worship team is going to come up. Uh, If you don't feel like singing, let somebody else sing for you. It's okay. Listen. If you need hope, borrow some from somebody else. That's why we have each other. This is what the people of God do. God, we trust you that you are the one who comes to us in our honesty. You're the one who comes to us and God actually just floods us with your spirit, God, to fill us with hope. And so God, as the people of faith, we stand in the middle of our circumstances. And God, we declare that we need you that our hope is in you and in you alone because, God, we trust who you are. We trust your nature. We trust your character. We trust that you are the God of hope. So fill us with hope through the power of your Holy Spirit as we sing, as we reaffirm what we believe about who you are. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus.
Spirit conceiving Christ the Son and Jesus our Savior I believe in God our Father I believe in Christ the Son I believe in the Holy Spirit our God is three in one I believe in the resurrection that we will rise again for I believe in the name of Jesus our judge and our defender suffered and crucified
we thank you this morning um, that we have hope in you, that we can hold on to you, God. God, I thank you for um, the gifts that are going to be given, God. Um, and I just pray that you would take those uh, to further the kingdom, God, and to expand hope in this place. Hunger and 